Welcome back to this week's episode of ASAP Finance. Today, Sam and I are joined by the wise Uncle Matt. We start off by discussing his childhood and share our thoughts on the nature versus nurture argument. After playing semi-professional basketball, he had a lot of intriguing stories to tell us, like his regrets as a teenager and how he wouldn't be where he is today without his mentor. It was an honor having my Uncle Matt on the show. Me and Sam really enjoyed this conversation, and we would appreciate it if you guys left a review on Spotify for us. Welcome, Mr. Matt. It's good to be here, guys. Yeah, it's great to have you. Our 20th episode, so you're a lucky lucky man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a little nervous. I feel like I'm about to get interviewed by two young pros. So <laughs> no, we're far from that. Um, we'll start with something simple. Um, so, like, I'm a big believer in, like, nature versus nurture. And uh, personally, I think, like, nurture is, like, the, the leading force of how you become a person. And could you just, I just want you to talk about, like, your childhood, like, maybe your siblings and, like, your parents and how they treated you, like, growing up, maybe some memories you have. Yeah, man. I mean, that's interesting that you bring that up because I wrestle with that question often, right? Like nature versus nurture. Because I'm a spiritual person and a Christian, I believe that there has to be some sort of nature involved, right? But nurture has played such a valuable role in my life. Um, being the last of eight kids and having a mom that was just a workhorse and driven and totally dedicated to us, I feel like I'd be disrespecting her if I didn't give her so much of the credit for who we've become today. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's your parents that you can put the onus on either. I think that you create your own destiny. I truly believe you create your own destiny. I, I, um, I think that in your life, you'll face adversity and challenge, and you'll be told no, and you'll fail a lot. And that's when you grow, you know, uh, as far as my childhood, I was the last of eight kids and I had the baby syndrome, right? I, I never felt like I was getting enough attention, I guess. And so I constantly cruised through my life seeking that. Um, I, I mean, I, I guess I grew up with a wholesome childhood that's a little bit different from people that I talk to about. Like we played outdoors internet and social media and all that stuff wasn't around when I was a kid, you know? So my kids now, they, they constantly want to be on video games. And when we tell them, no, it's I'm bored, I'm bored. So, um, that doesn't really compute with me because we were always outdoors. I learned a lot from my oldest brother, Dennis, because he was kind of the closest within range. You say you grow up with eight or seven siblings, but you really grow up with the select few that are around you. My twin brother, you know, um, I chased him a lot of my life. He was always super smart and intelligent. He's a nuclear engineer now, obviously, you know, people in my family know that and, uh, he will certainly tell you that as well. I mean, he's super intelligent, but um, living with somebody like that and feeling inept in, in studies because you have somebody that's so successful, that can be challenging. Um, I don't know. Is there anything in particular that you're looking for? I'm just kind of rambling here. No, yeah, yeah, please. If, if you're done talking, you just can stop. Um, yeah, okay. And then we'll we'll fill in. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good point that you made, like, about having, like, eight kids. Like, I feel like you can't, like, I don't know. I grew up with, like, four siblings, and they were sort of scattered around, like, households and whatnot. But, like, you really only have, like, a true connection with, like, one or two siblings. And, like, they really, like, mold the way you are as a person. Um, right. Do you, do you have, do you think you were like better at connecting with people because you had so many siblings? Like you understood like, like group relationships and like talking to people more, or do you think it didn't really have an effect like for having eight siblings? I never really thought about that. 
That's actually really a good point. Like you're at a social setting every time you sit down to eat, you know, Um, at least we were, we had family dinners every night together. And so, yeah, it's a melding pot of a whole different bunch of personalities and you're all trying to get along socially at a dinner table and it's family too, right? So no punches are pulled. Like it's honesty around a family dinner table. So yeah, I probably had a significant effect. I never even thought about that. It's brilliant, Kyle. Jeez. <laughs> Psychologist. <laughs> no, yeah, that was, that was a book I was, there was a book I was reading that was on uh, nature and nurture and it talked a lot about that and also talked about um nature and how like um your IQ is like, highly correlated with your um genetics and like your dna or whatever causes it but like there's nothing you can do to change your iq up to that that genetic level which is also something super interesting that i i found out um i i believe that though man like i i believe that intelligence could be inherent but i i think that like knowledge is earned does that make sense like yeah, yeah. you mm-hmm. can you can be born intelligent but like you have to earn knowledge like and especially if you you're you don't have that same level of intelligence and i think me and my brother my twin brother are a pretty good example right because we grew up pretty much in the same atmosphere like but we're we're the same in mannerism and two totally different people in things like, like this guy understands physics and that stuff just, I, I don't, it can't comprehend it. Now I can't not comprehend it, but it doesn't come easy to me. Right. So yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so I guess um, coming from like a family of eight, that's a pretty unique situation, especially compared to today, since like families are so much smaller, would you say there's any like specific memories that, really helped shape you in your early years because of how big your family was? Uh, you know, I, I think about like maybe times that we got in trouble and my mom was a little bit harsher on her level of punishment compared to what kids would think today. I mean, we had to kneel on hardwood floors. I mean, we the, like the belts and spoons were involved, not abuse by any means, but just like a stern reminder that if you slipped up, uh, there was going to be a consequence for it. And my mom talks about having kids now, it, it really changes your perspective on it, a lot of things because now you're responsible for raising this individual and, and you want them to be a productive member of society, right? So uh, she always said, mean what you say. There's a consequence and, and it, has to, it has to be meaningful. Like if you say you're going to do something, then you need to produce that consequence if they don't give you the result that you were looking for. So, and I think my mom was very, very good at that. Very good at that. Yeah, that's, a, that's interesting. I, and like in today's society, like you don't see that, like how kids are getting punished, like with the spoon or like, there's, there's no really harsh punishments nowadays as, as far as like my friends and the people that, I, that I'm surrounded by. You don't hear people getting hit by spoons or like, like whipped for something like really simple. Do you, do you have like a theory on like why like we're becoming more like, I don't know, I, I quote unquote soft as a society and like we really don't like punish our kids as much. It's more like hands off. I think it, it, it doesn't have to be a spoon or, or a belt. It has to be a meaningful re- result, right? Like if you're going to tell your child, hey, if you don't eat your dinner, then you're not going to get dessert and they don't eat all their dinner, but yet you still give them dessert. You're affirming that behavior that you're trying to stop. Right. So I, like 
I'm not to answer your question. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's soft because we don't hit our kids with spoons. I think that like generationally, we've just become mentally weaker. And, and, and as we produce that next product of children that, that don't have consequence, they go on to produce a, a product of children that even have less consequence. So I think if like, I grew up different because I was the last of eight kids in spanning 60s, 70s, and 80s generation, right? So I think you, like, to me, you probably would have to look back at the baby boomer generation where they revolted a little bit against their parents, right? They, like, they came from the 50s and 60s where it was a stern, hard upbringing. And, and, and we, I think we were a tougher generation back then. You look at the World War II generation and what they had to go through. Those guys were lining up to go to war for their country. And, and, and there's a very select few that are willing to do that now, right? But kids were lying on their birth certificates to get in to situations so that they could fight for their country. Well, those same strong individuals that probably go back even further to the Great Depression, right? Think about the generation that raised them was coming out of a Great Depression. So it's like, it's a hardened society that has just gotten softer and softer because the next generation was the 60s and hippies and hey, everybody should smoke weed and do LSD and life is great. And, and maybe back then it was similar to what we're seeing now where the, the, they got the most attention because they were the loudest and squeakiest wheel, right? Maybe that wasn't the largest, but, but if you look and you see kind of, we've become the age of decadence in America, right? We have everything at the touch of our hands. You have every answer you could ever want in a cell phone, like we didn't grow up like that. And, and, and so I, I just think like we have access to everything and that's made us soft. And I don't know if that answers your question. Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> but I like, yeah, I just think generationally you get softer and softer. And, and I, I fight that with my wife, who's slightly younger than me. And she grew up in, with a kind of a different parenting household and she they were daughters they were little princesses right so they they had a different childhood than I had so um which I also think is good because we come together to we make a better parenting team right because we can kind of balance each other out but um and I have no idea why what's what's the root of it but I I think it's it can be a gigantic problem for our nation going forward if we don't get a grip on it yeah, I agree. I mean, it really is a blessing that we could live in this society like now, like kids growing up, you don't have to worry about like entering the draft or anything like we have a bunch of like, like brave people who are like, every year they're trying to get into the army and, and they want to serve their country. And, and I'm grateful that, that people are doing that because really, we wouldn't be able to have like the lives we have today if people don't do that and don't sacrifice. It's interesting. Uh, like we have a box of table comments, right? When we have dinner, we'll break them out. And I'm not trying to paint the picture of this perfect family. And we do <laughs> table topics every time we eat dinner with each other, right? This happens very rarely on a special occasion. But last night, my wife said, hey, let's get the box out and, you know, like stem up some conversation or whatever. And one of the questions was, what is the most important thing that you think that you can do for your nation, right? Um, and I said, pay taxes. And I, like, she thought that was funny, you know, but I said, when you think about it, our tax dollars fund that very military support that you're talking about. And if, if a lot of those service members aren't getting that paycheck, they aren't showing up to work. Right. So like, I don't, 
I, like, I don't think you've got to grab a rifle and get in line to do good for your country. Like there's other ways that, that you're supporting the system and I, like taxes, I, I saw a smirk on your face. Like you laughed at it. Like, oh, everybody's trying to avoid paying taxes, right? Like we're all taxed to death, you know, but like there is a meaning behind that. I mean, this system was created by some individuals that were very intelligent. So. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yeah. Especially just like being like, not even just paying taxes, but just like behaving and like minding your own business, letting other people live the way they want to live and you live the way you want to live. And like, that's what she said. How about <laughs> obeying the law, Matt? That might be a little bit more important than paying taxes. That's exactly what Haley said. That's funny. <laughs> um, so I guess growing up when you did, what was like what did you enjoy most about being a teenager like when you were in your 20s oh uh, nothing man <laughs> nothing I hated my high school experience it, it like if anything I look back and I'm like I hate to tell you guys this because you're young but it, it's so irrelevant you know like the only thing I regret is that I wasn't motivated more when I was younger to do things that could have advanced my lifestyle when I got older, right? Like I, I was focused on all the typical things that teenagers are focused on, uh, like the new girl every other month, right? And she was everything and she didn't even know I existed. I was that classic teen movie with the nerd in the background that like is in love with the model of the school and gets no attention from her. Like it, it doesn't even make an attempt to get attention from her. Like I, I had already convinced myself that I wasn't worthy. So I never even took that chance, you know? So um, I, I don't really miss anything or, or like reflect positively on anything really in high school. I, I had great experiences with my brother growing up and, and, after school, you know, we would go home and we would compete with each other in basketball or golf or whatever it was. And, and I wouldn't trade those memories for anything. I wouldn't trade my high school experience for anything because I feel like that, that period of growth made me help me, you know, like, um, but I will say, like, if you talk about teenage years, my 19, like when I was 19, that was the, those were the years that really started to shape my life because I was holding down two jobs right out of high school. I was managing a Papa Murphy store and I was waiting tables at, well, I was busing tables at Red Robin. So, um, and, and it was that introduction to busing tables and being in a service environment that really changed me as an individual or, or helped now, I wouldn't say change me. I think that's wrong because I don't think it changed me. I think I always was who I was, but that gave me the, the stage or the opportunity to be who I was and to realize people liked who I was, right? Like I, I, like I was a funny, fun guy, right? And, and, and like that was affirmation of that in a public environment with strangers and a revolving door every day. You know, new people come in, new people go out. So like those were the, I look at those as some of the most special years of my life, living with the guys I lived with in, in the apartment complex and, and uh, moving out at the age of 19. I mean, that, you think about your guys's generation, they're living at home till they're 29, 30 years old. Like, what are you learning there? Like, that's a long time to be in the nest as a baby bird, you know, yeah. like, Sometimes you got to learn to fly and you're going to fall a couple of times. Uh, and I did, I, I like I did, I, I economically, like I, I didn't monitor my money like I should have. And I ended up back at home, but you know, what sucks 
is being out on your own and then going back home, like having that freedom and then not having it anymore. That's a real motivator to get your freedom back again. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I feel like right now there's like so many people who like don't get a job really. And they just think like long-term, like, okay, I'm going to just live like through high school. I'm going to just enjoy it. And then I might get a job. Like when I turn like 20 or 24 and like, you really like learn so much just from having a job. And like, if you can go and like trade your hour, I was blessed because I had my Opa and I started working at 15. Well, he kind of forced right. me to, he kind of forced me to work. So I didn't really have an option. Um, but it, it's so nice, like going and trading your time or like doing a service for someone else. And you actually get money and you're like, wow, this is my money that I can spend on my food. And like, you can kind of learn the process of what it's like to become an adult and like be fully functional. And it's freedom, right? Yeah. You don't need to ask your mom and dad for five or 20 bucks. Like you can go to the movies if you want. And like, there's a, a new level of accountability because your opa wasn't going like it's a job situation he's going to treat you like an employee now you're still his you know grandson so there's some liberties there but at the same hand it's, it's a new level of what well, going back to what we said originally like accountability is saying i'm going to be here at a certain time and i'm going to do the job that you asked me to do and maybe sometimes your parents aren't very good at reinforcing that behavior but a job certainly is going to be you know i can go back to all the times i've been fired on on my way through life you know um and and those times definitely shaped me right right and, and I, I think go yeah. ahead no i was just gonna say i mean like i blame them every time i got fired you know what, what were they thinking but like if you really are able to step back and, and look at the situation you're you're accountable for some of that as well so. right yeah i agree and can you like so obviously there's like the, the, where you just get a job, like you can start as an entry level job and you can maybe like work your way up as a server, maybe get to manager position and work your way that way. But then there's also the college route and it's like, okay, you can go invest your time four years in and you spend all this money and then you get your degree and then you'll, you'll usually start out at like a, a higher position than you would if you were just a server or something. Can you like touch on like what college was like, like when you were growing up, like maybe your like senior year of high school, as much as you remember, like, was it, was it something like parents pushed on you or was it like this choice? No. Through, like, was it society where like you would choose what you wanted or? They didn't push it on me at all, at all. Right. Like that, it, it, I, I think that was something new with student loans, like the, the availability of you guys to be able to go to school, not you. I hate saying you because it's, it's, it's generalizing, you know, the youth, but that's not fair to do. Um, but I think, society has made it easier for people to go to school and to collect money to do that right and um I, nobody was pushing college on me because i don't think my parents wanted to pay for it right and and they were definitely willing to help out and they did for you know and and they paid for my brother to go to school and they would have paid for me but um I mean, after you're done raising seven kids and you got one more and you're like, oh, I don't have to cure like 60 grand in college debt for this kid to go to school and fail out a couple of times. Like, so no, I mean, I just kind of made my own path. I, I, I was in school because I was an athlete. I originally went to play golf at Lower Columbia College and I failed out. Right. And it's funny. I go back to like me and my brother and the difference between us. I'm talking about my twin. And um, I mean, he was on a path to be an engineer. He knew that from a young age. And, and I and, and he played golf as well. And he was in school playing golf. And he said, hey, man, why don't you come down here and play golf with me at Lower Columbia? And so I went down there to be with him and play golf. I wasn't there to go to school. I was there to play golf. Um, 
And I think that was my problem is I never took studies seriously. And if I could go back, that's one thing I certainly would change. Cause I always said, I'm, I wasn't, I'm not smart like you. It doesn't come easy to me. Well, that's BS, you know, like that just means you need to lock yourself in the library a little bit longer. You need to read that book twice. And I, I was, I was, I guess, too ADD to, to find that calm level when I was a kid. So no, it wasn't pushed on me. I'm very thankful that it wasn't because I don't think it should be pushed on everybody. I think not everybody's built to be an academic star, you know? Some people are built to be ditch diggers. And guess what? Those ditch diggers doing it long enough grow up to be foremans and they make a pretty good living managing other people on how to dig ditches. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you this before we get into the next question, because like, I'm a huge believer in this. I, I don't care what you do in your life, but I, I think if that's what you're if that's what you're doing, you need to do it to the best of your ability. Okay. And and there's a like this is cheesy, but there's a Domino's commercial out there of a lady that that worked cheesy, at Domino's. Sorry. There's and cheese down, on the pizza. She was sorry. sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was cheese on the pizza too. It's not just that it's cheesy. That was a good one. Oh. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh, gosh. All right. All right. Anyway, so she started at a young age working at Domino's. Now she owns three franchises. All she did was make pizzas and deliver them for Domino's. And now she runs three Domino's. Like, that's not a that's not a normal route that somebody would take to success. Right. But she did it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but I don't think college is for everybody. Right. Right. Go ahead. Um, so, so like on that topic, sort of a second ago, you said how, like, it's important to, to how it's important that like you should fall every once in a while. Cause you're taking those risks. Right. Um, I guess what were some times like when you were growing up, like what risks did you take and how important do you think it is for other people in their early years to be taking risks? Oh man, I don't take risks. You guys, <laughs> I am the most conservative person that you will ever meet. Right. To a fault. I, I wish looking back that I would have taken more risks. I still don't take risks. I, I, I watch I watch boom and bust all around me from my friends, you know, from the level of multimillionaires to bankrupt. I, I, my personal friends have gone through this right back to multimillionaires again. I've seen them go through it, you know, willing to just put it all out there. I, I'm, I don't know why that's that I would say is nurture for me like i cannot change that in my dna so like i don't like i don't see them as risks but other people might say well matt you moved to a whole new city to play college basketball at a college that didn't even know you were coming that's a huge risk right and and so like sure maybe that's a risk but mentally in my mind it was never a risk i knew i was going to make that team and i'll tell you a, a story that i like to tell uh, I went through tryouts and there's, you know, 50 guys in tryouts at a community college. I'm not saying that I was playing for, you know, uh, a D1 level school or anything like that, but I think it's all the same. And I, I tell you that I sat in the office with my coach and he, he cut the team down to 15 guys. Right. Um, and so out of that 50, 60 guys or whatever, he brings me and this other guy into this office and he sits us down and he goes, Hey, look, we really like your guys' attitude, your hard workers in here. We don't have a spot on the roster for you guys. But what we do have is these, you know, 13th, 14th, and 15th spot. 
that we like to keep for practice players and stuff like that. And I said, I said, okay. And he goes, so I want to put you guys in one of those spots. I want you guys to show up to practice. I want you guys to be around and hang around the team. I said, Hey, I, that's awesome. Give me that spot, but I will start for you in my first basketball game for this team. So do you give me whatever opportunity you think I've earned up to this point, but I'm going to start for you. And I started in my first game. So like, I never thought that was a risk, right? I, like I always believe he's telling me, dude, you're not good enough. What are you doing? You're not like, we'll put you on the practice squad, man. You're kind of a funny guy. Everybody laughs. They like to have you around. And I said, okay, fine. Like you put me on your practice squad, but I'm going to start for you. Now, some of these guys failed out of school. They didn't get the grades, but that's all a process of being a student athlete, right? Like that's not my fault that they didn't cut the grades. And so his starting point guard all of a sudden wasn't there anymore. And I, I got, so like, I'm not saying like my talent overwhelmed, but the entire product was better than the other guy's product. So in a way, I, like I was right. Now it didn't mean that I was going to grow six inches and suddenly start dunking the basketball at the start of the season. It's just, I mean, I was going to find a way. Yeah, that's that's really motivating, honestly, that you they gave you the last spot on the team and you ended up starting on the first game. Obviously, there were some other things that had to happen for you to do that. But still, that's awesome that you did that. Yeah, well, I, lo- I like I, I like I think that's like a message that I want to give to my kids or to like anybody is that like if you believe it. It will happen. You just have to continue to believe it. It may take 20 years. It's going to happen, right? Like you just have to believe in yourself, whatever it is. I don't care if you want to play the clarinet, like you have to, you have to believe in it. And, and, and there's, there's maybe some physical uh, boundaries there that you're not going to be able to accomplish, but even I would, I would scare people away from even having those limitations on themselves. I think like, I think our, our mental ability is so strong. And it may not be easy and it might suck, but I think you can accomplish anything as long as you internally believe that it's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I think um, another point, like when you were talking about like how school wasn't really for you, there's a lot of people that I think like sports is the perfect like way for someone to be motivated to like focus in school because you like see people and they're like, like obviously sports is so fun. Like as I don't know, as guys, you just love sports. You love to watch sports. It's super, it's super fun to do or play. And like, if you can create this like connection between like school and like learning stuff and like, oh, you have to pass your classes to, oh, this fun sport that I want to play and I want to get good at. And you can, you join those together. I feel like people are a lot more successful. And I feel like that also is like contributing to like how, how you became as a person. Um, Well, I think like, I think that's a skill, Kyle. Like, I think to be an athlete and a student at the same time, it, that takes dedication, right? Because your sport is going to require X amount of hours for you. And the higher you get up playing that sport or music instrument or whatever, that's time you have to dedicate to that, to be successful at that craft, as well as I got to put in the time here to be good enough in, in, in academics to still maintain my ability to play sports. So I, yeah, I, I think that's, that might be that like, it's just exposing who you are as a person to be able to juggle multiple things at once. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It teaches you time management a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so can you touch on like, how? so obviously basketball, you, you made your um, college team after they said you're going to be sitting on the bench all season, but like, when did you start like into basketball? Was it like something you, you, we're just playing like for fun. And then you finally got serious into it. Or like, what was your thought like growing up? Or did you want to be like this NBA player and be like, Oh, I'm going to the leagues or, or how, how was it growing up? 
you guys, I don't know if it's still like this in Carolina, but like that's basketball central. And I mean, you got the Tar Heels, you got the Wolfpack and people don't know who the Wolfpack is now, but they, they were national champs back when I was a kid. Right. And you have Duke so, and you have Wake Forest. I mean, you're surrounded by elite level college talent. And I grew up in the Jimmy V era watching that stuff on TV, you know, and like distraction nowadays there's a million channels you can watch whatever you want on tv you can put tv on your phone but back then there wasn't a lot on tv man you maybe had a few college games or the cleveland browns you know there wasn't a lot that we were gathering around the tv to watch and that was some stuff that we would gather around the tv to watch uh, so at a young age i was balling up socks we were taping pieces of paper hanging in doorways and we were throwing a balled up sock at a piece of tape you know taped up paper um and so I just grew up with that passion all my life. I just love basketball. And I like I had buck teeth when I was a kid, you know, like I wasn't I, like I was kind of quirky and, and, and basketball made me not quirky. It made me not a nerd. Right. Like I pay, I played ball tag at recess, like with, with the other guys that weren't, I won't say nerds cause that's kind of a harsh thing to say, but like they weren't popular and like, I would have been that group had I not had athletics to kind of like transcend that the difference between these kids and these kids. So basketball is probably what saved me from getting beat up a lot when I was a kid or made fun of or being put in that bracket of uncool. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely I, I feel like I can relate to that because I was I was like really short. I was pretty nerdy and I just I don't know. I didn't like I didn't like dress the same as everyone. Um, but I, but I did play a lot of soccer and I was, I was pretty good in like middle school. So I didn't get bullied as much as I thought I probably would have. Um, but obviously playing basketball, how do you think, like, how do you think your coaches played a role in developing you off the court and how important do you think it is to have mentors like coaches in your life? So this is a tough one for me because I never clicked with my coaches, right? I never had, I my assistant coach obviously is the reason that I'm sitting here today. So like, do I believe that people need mentors? Absolutely. And, and I think that everybody should seek mentors in life and the more, the better. And, and I say that because you're not going to get like, you can pedal as hard as you want, but somebody has got to be there to help you. Like I, I believe mentors are, are the key to success, right? So I believe having a mentor is super important. Um, I battled my whole basketball career being the, you know, the hardest worker, but the the shortest or, or the less, like I didn't have the gifts that other people had. So I, I was constantly, maybe this goes back to that last child syndrome, I felt like I was constantly trying to prove myself to my coaches, right? Like, and but I did it with a level of arrogance that I regret. I felt like I was good enough and I never slowed down to pay attention to what they were seeing, right? I, I always just felt like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And maybe that's why I rose to the levels I rose at or why I didn't go to higher heights, you know? I That's hard to explain, but I will say that, uh, as far as coaches that have impacted my life, uh, which is what you asked me, James Welch was my assistant basketball coach um, at Clark College, and he was a real estate appraiser, um, which was irrelevant at the time, right? I didn't know what he did, um, 
I just knew that like, I, like I admired this guy. Um, and the more I spent around him, the more I wanted to spend time with him. And, and, uh, and he welcomed me to his family. And, and I started out working for his wife, and, like during college, and I wasn't doing it to get anywhere. I was just like, hey, this is a couple bucks in my pocket to help keep the utilities on, you know, because that was a problem in college, like we had our power shut off. Like I, yeah. So I don't want to get off on a tangent of poverty that I experienced in college, but it was, it was awful. So oh, yeah. um, he showed me, he gave me a gift and a way out of that. And, and, uh, and then we built our relationship from there um, to eventually where we, he trained me to be a real estate appraiser. So uh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. So like, yes, I, like he, he made me an adult. Okay. Does that make sense? Like I was, I was still rough around the edges. I, 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 I wore double t-shirts, you know, and he said, Matt, you can't have the bottom t-shirt hanging out of your top t-shirt when you're going to do an appraisal. Um, here's some money, go buy yourself some dockers and, and a nice pair of shoes, you know, like you can't wear basketball sneakers to a real estate appraisal inspection. So like he, he taught me those little intangible things, um, watching him on a phone conversation when there's a problem with something in, in his office and him fixing those problems in, in a calm demeanor and not getting riled up about it. Like I, I got to watch him go through that. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, man, I, I, like I'll forever be in debt to him for that. So yeah, that's awesome. I really think like being like being in a sport is like so cool. Cause he's like, see all these different personalities and different backgrounds. Like all these people have like they all have the same love for like basketball in your case, for example, but like you can have coach, like I used to play football growing up and you would have coaches from all different backgrounds. They'd have a bunch of different personalities. Like you would learn, like looking back on it now, like I see like the value in it, but like back then I was just like, look at all these coaches I have, but like each coach like provided like a different input to the team. And like each, each of their characters like constructed our team. I mean, we were, we were really successful. It was just Pop Warner, but like we went undefeated for like two years in a row, not to oh, too man. Warner, but <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Pop Warner. That's everything. <laughs> yeah, man. That was, no, that was the awesome. dream. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it really is important having coaches and like, you can really connect the people in the other way. Um, how did you like get past? Like, um, so you started in college and freshman year, what was your story after that for basketball? So, so like, that's interesting too, because I spent that first year building this relationship with my coach, right? Um, and, and finally broke through. Like he was going to put the ball in my hands next season. It, the offense was going to be built around me. Like, and and I think that all changed. It was the day after everything had ended, and I was in the gym working out. And he came in. And he was like, "Dude, what are you doing? Like the season's over." And he was like, "Oh yeah." So then, you know, so so then I built this relationship with him, and I'm thinking, "Oh, this is going to be great." And then the you, like the college fires him, right? So like, hey, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, so so community college is hard, right? Because every athlete that's there, it's a platform to them to get to university. That's their whole mission is to try to launch themselves into a bigger university and, and, and play on a grander schedule, uh, a grander stage. Um, so I had a coaching change and, and I only get two years to prove myself. And now I've got to start all over and build a new relationship with a new coach. Well, 
turns out the worst thing that could have ever happened for my basketball career was the greatest thing to ever happen to me in life because that change brought James Welch into my life as an assistant coach and changed my trajectory and path in life forever. Uh, like I got married to a beautiful blonde because of it. Like, like I, what, what at the time seemed like a disaster turned out to be the greatest thing to ever happen to me. So like, um, so my, so my sophomore year, I mean, I'd already established myself at the college, right? And and I and I built that confidence over over my freshman year because I went from being told I wasn't good enough to starting in the program. So going into my sophomore year, I had a level of arrogance about me that like I knew like this I was going to make something of myself my sophomore year, and then I broke my hand at and uh, in, in a, like a final scrimmage before the beat before the like you know, tryouts and everything. And that was a huge setback for me because that was being sidelined for months, not being able to train and work out and, and bond with the coach and the team. Instead, I get dropped into the middle of the season, you know, is like, who is this guy? You know, like he's super cocky. He runs around singing and like, nobody's ever seen him even shoot a basketball. So like, I think everything happens for a reason. I mean, like, that again fractured probably some of my success at, at the collegiate level, but it it uh, it definitely opened up other avenues for me. So um, so yeah, so I, I had an injury at the beginning of my year, and I'm not saying, oh, if I didn't get injured, I would have been a pro. You know, you hear these guys, my knee, that's what cost me like that. It, it's it was my mental ability to accept my coach's um, frustration with me that held me back. Like instead of going into his office and sitting down with him and saying, what do you want me to be better at? You know, like we just butted heads. Um, and, and I regret that. I regret not seeing his perspective, you know, and, and, and instead of, instead of seeing his perspective, I rallied part of the team against him. Right. So I, I was like, no, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about you need to come with me. And so like I fractured our own team. I was the reason for that. Right. I took all the good players and said, look at us, we're, we're talented. And, and look at who he wants to play. You, you want those guys taking your minutes, you know, um, which is, I'll, I, I ramble, but I, I like, there's so much in this brain, you know um, I'll tell you a funny story. Like I was so frustrated. I would have played 40 minutes. I never wanted to sit on the bench. And one of my buddies, he came to me and he goes, you keep talking about playing time and the coach doesn't play you enough. He goes, here's the stat sheet. You play the most minutes out of anybody else on the team. But I didn't see that. I saw that, you know, 10 minutes he sat me during the game. It didn't matter that I played more minutes than everybody else, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I failed to see those things right in front of me because it wasn't the picture that I was painting yeah, that's, in my that's head. Awesome. I, I want to touch on like the mind, two different mindsets. Now that you just okay. mentioned um, the one, one, first of all, being the injury that you had. And um, so like, obviously a lot of people, like whether it be an injury, like physical injury, or like when you're down and like, you're in the rough, you just get slapped in the face and you have nothing to work with. Like, it's so easy for someone to just quit. And like, I, can you like talk me through like why you didn't just quit? Like you, you saw your injury, like, like what, what, what motivated you like through that, that month period or, or year period, like to get back into the grind? Dude. Okay. I'll tell you a funny story. And this is, this is to, like, 
I don't know what motivated me. Obviously, like I wanted to play professional basketball. I wanted to get paid to play the sport of basketball. Okay. So like my goal was to get overseas because I, I, at that point I was kind of, I was looking around going, okay, the NBA, you know, like I got to work out with NBA players, you know, I, I got to train a little bit with Dan Dickow um, and, and uh, Celine Stoudemire, Aaron Miles, guys you've never heard of, you know, but, but the, right. But these guys played it at Kansas, you know, they, they played at Arizona, they played at top level division schools and they, they went on to be guys that nobody will ever hear about uh, at the professional level. Dan Dickow maybe, but anyway, regardless of that, um, I, so I kind of, the writing was on the wall, but I still believed in like, I can't take a pause at this, right? Like I got to keep the pedal to the metal. So when I broke my hand, I ran on the treadmill every day. I dribbled with my other hand. I shot with my other hand. Like I did everything with my other hand to keep myself all my, my cast smelled so gross. It was rotting. And, and, and I'll never forget like the first date that I went on with my wife, we went to uh, the Pendleton roundup and we stayed, at, it was like a weekend thing, you know, me and my buddy and, and uh, Lena Heinrich and these, these two, um, these two uh, beautiful blondes, well, one beautiful blonde and the other one, you know, lovely. anyway, so like we were sitting there and like, I couldn't even stomach the smell of my cast. So I, I was like, so embarrassed that entire weekend, this thing was reeking, it was rotten, but that was it. Like, right. Like I didn't care that cast was going to smell. Like I was going to work out sweating that thing. It didn't matter. So um, it's funny. Like you bring that memory back. I do remember like, I, it didn't stop me. It didn't slow me down. I don't know what motivated me to keep going, but maybe just my belief in myself, you know? And that's where I said, like, if you believe it, nothing's going to stop you, you know? Um, yeah. And that was, I mean, it's a hand injury again. It was like, I didn't have an Achilles blowout or anything like that. You know, I can yeah. still be active. Um, but I like to believe even like, no matter what it was, I would have tried to mentally fight through it. So yeah. um, I had a goal and my goal was to play at the highest level of college basketball that I could get to. Uh, and then to go overseas and get paid to play basketball. That was my mission at that time. I didn't know James yet. Right. I didn't know that there was another possibility out there so that was still that was my driving motivation that all changed when i saw this guy's huge house overlooking the city of portland and what the abilities of real estate is i mean my god but there's multi-millionaires in, in this industry you know so uh yeah my yeah, motivation that's, that's changed awesome pretty that also touches, <laughs> touches on the other thing that i was um wanted to talk about too is like when you were talking about like how you just wanted to play the most. And you were like, I, I'm like, I want to be out there. Like, I want to help the team. And like, when you were saying that, it kind of reminded me of like Kobe's mindset and like how he didn't care about like anyone else. He was just going to be the best person that like he wanted to be. And like, he wanted to make the biggest difference. And I feel like that's like a great mindset to have, whether it be like in business or in basketball. And it's so awesome that you had that mindset. I don't think it was, I mean, like, obviously you could, you could have like the, the picture that, oh, it's negative. Like all my teammates aren't playing like as much as me, but at the same time, it's like, if you want something like whether it be in the business world or like sports, like you have to outwork everyone else and you have to want it the most or else you're not going to, you're going to get outworked by someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I think youth athletes see that, right? Like they, they have a natural talent to do something, but eventually you get to a point where that natural talent isn't enough. You need to start putting in hours or people that are putting in hours are going to leave you behind. Like your natural ability can only take you so far. Um, and I, I definitely was not shy about breaking a sweat or, or, or busting my butt like that didn't bug me at all. I, I've always and, and that goes back to my mom, you know, like 
she instilled that work ethic in us. Like on Saturday mornings, we would get up and, and she would be like, see that forest line over there? I want you to push that back five feet. Why? Because I said so. Like we, there was no reason to cut all those bushes out. And, and but the, like other kids are watching cartoons. I remember complaining about it all the time when we were kids. Everybody's watching cartoons and you got us up at seven in the morning and we're doing yard work, pulling weeds. This is ridiculous. And that's not an over-exaggeration. You know, that was, that was, my childhood, that's how, like, she put us to work on the weekends, um, which is a, a, it's just a funny story. Um, she would give us work to do, but as we got older, I had a, a brother that was a nuclear engineer, right? So he would figure out the faster way to do these things, and we would get done with our job. She'd be like, no, you said, hey, you said we could play if we were done with this, and this guy figured if we hauled it all at once in this weird contraption made out of cardboard that we could get it done sooner, so it was kind of fun to go through those things, too, with him and, and have him dissect a problem way differently, because I wouldn't dissect it. I would just hit the ground running and just, you know, bleed till the project was finished, and he'd be like, ah, let's sit back a second and, and look at this, you know, and I'm like, I'm getting annoyed that you're sitting over there. It's like, oh, I'm going to finish this in an hour and you're going to be here for four. So why don't you just give me a minute? Um, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's kind of obvious that you had that, that um, like that grind mindset, because like you said, when um, that coach left, you literally described it as like the worst thing that could have happened to you. And I mean, so many people, when something like that happens to them, they just, they'll just quit and give up. But you, you didn't do that. And you, um, you came back and you continued to play even after the injury, which was another terrible thing that happened to you. But I guess continuing on after that, like how did your your basketball story keep going like throughout college and after college? So I did my own recruiting for the next level. I, I went to universities. I went to Pacific Lutheran University where I had a buddy that was playing and I, I met with their coaches. Um, I, I called St. Martin's and sat down with St. Martin's and went to some of their open gyms and worked with their coaches. And what's funny is when I went to St. Martin's, I was talking to their coach and, and he said, you know, your coach said that you're not a good fit for our program. And I thought, man, like this guy is supposed to be helping me out and he is undermining these coaches. Like I'm calling them and then they're calling him and being like, Hey, tell me about this player. And he's saying like, Hey, probably not the best fit. And, and again, my mentality with these coaches was like, I do give me a shot. Give me a spot at the end of your roster. That's all I need. Like, just tell me when I show up to tryouts that you're going to let me in the door and then I'll take it from there. That's, that's what I was telling all of these uh, coaches. Uh, at the same time, I was getting really close to James and his family um, at this point, I'm babysitting his kids. I'm mowing his yard. Like I'm eating dinners over there. Like they're family at this point. Right. Uh, and I, I don't know why I asked him, he was training another guy to be an appraiser. And, I, and, and I, and I don't know what in me said, you know, would you be willing to train me? Would you be willing to give me some of this knowledge? And, uh, and he said, let me think about it and came back and said, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do this. So, um, so like that kind of shifted my energy and focus away from basketball and more into real estate. Like that's when that shift took place. I still love basketball to the point where this guy lived on a mountain. Right. And I'm not exaggerating that. Like it was all uphill both ways in the snow, that kind of crap. Like it was 35, 40 minutes for me to get to work every day. So I'm getting up at six in the morning 
I'm driving all the way out to this guy's house. I'm working with him until six o'clock at night. So about a 12 hour a day. Okay. <laughs> and then I would come back to, and at this time I'm living with all my old college buddies. They're still in college and I'm not in college, but like every weekend, it's like the fraternity house, animal house. And you got like, it's just, it's overwhelming. Okay. So I'm trying to navigate through all this crap and my friends still being immature because I'm a little bit older than them. It's, you know, like I'm on a different cycle in life. That was, that was, so, um, so, oh crap, where was I? So, um, oh, so then I would get home. I would take a nap. Okay. Till from six 30 to like nine, I would nap. I would get up. I would go to the gym. I would work out from 10 o'clock till 12, one in the morning, every night, go back, go to bed, drag myself out of bed, six o'clock in the morning, I'm in the car headed back up. That was, those were my days. I would, I would work 12 hours a day, come back, nap, and then go to the gym for two to three hours, right? Training to be, um, I don't know, like where, like, and then this IBL opportunity got presented to me. It was the International Basketball League and some of my coaches from college were, were going to be a part of the program, right? They, um, my original coach, the one that I said I built a relationship with, he was going to be a part of this team. And the, again, there was like a hundred man tryout of all the local athletes. And he was like, Hey man, you should come to this. You should check this out. So, um, so that was it. And so I, I, like, I went to this tryout and this is a cool story. So, uh, so I'm sitting there at like, it's it, it's at this local college, you know, it's filled with all these athletes. They're all shooting and warming up and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there with my headphones in and I'm listening to music. And my college coach comes over to me and he, he kicks me. He goes, dude, what are you doing? So like, don't you want to get warmed up? And I was like, man, I have been busting my butt for months for this opportunity. If I don't have it by now, a couple extra jumpers over there isn't going to make the difference. And dude, I... Not to be pompous, but I crushed that tryout. Absolutely murdered it to the point where they fractured people into teams and they put me on the team, like on the team. Like they were like, hey, we want you to play with the guys that are already on the team, right? Like that was the team. Like I didn't get put with a tryout, other tryout squads. Like I got put on the team. I'm throwing alley-oops to these guys. They're dunking it. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, so like that was that was like, that was a very proud moment for me because I got put into a gym with a bunch of high level collegiate athletes and I excelled amongst all of them. Um, and then life happened. Then like, then, it, then I was juggling real estate. My, my girlfriend at the time was in California. We were doing a long distance relationship. She moved home and then it was like, okay, now I got, what do I do now? I, I got, I got a, I got a love of my life. You know, I've got a career in real estate and I've got basketball. Something's got to go. Cause there's not room for all three of those. And I chose basketball. I, I just, I stopped working out, you know, and I stopped training. Um, and then, like I say, you will always have your opportunity. you like, if you, if you're in it long enough, your opportunity will be presented because I wasn't getting a lot of playing time with the IBL but I did get my playing time. And when I got it, I wasn't ready because I had stopped training and I was abysmal amongst those athletes. I, I couldn't perform. And then shortly after that, <clears throat> I just, I left the team. I left the team with a few games left in the season because it was just, 
it wasn't worth it for me. The experiences I got from the IBL, the traveling, the playing in front of 5,000 plus people in the Indiana arenas, like I never experienced that at a community college and I got cut in high school, right? Like I wasn't even good enough to make my high school team. So, so the, like, I feel like I had closure in basketball. I feel like I maximized my potential uh, to where that was supposed to take me. And I felt like my energy needed to be spent elsewhere. So I, I have no regrets. I hung that chapter up in my life, uh, but that's how it happened. I mean, Haley moved home and something had to give and it was basketball gladly. Like it was, there's no way I was going to lose Haley. No way. And there was no way I was going to give up real estate. You know, there was just the, the, the potential was just overwhelmingly awesome. And yeah, that's, that's awesome. I feel like it's really hard, like to choose, like when you have a bunch of stuff going for you and you're like, I don't have enough time to like do all this. It's like really hard for you to just knock something out, but like, it's essential for you to like continue to excel in your life and like not get yeah. overcrowded or whatnot. I think in your heart, you know, what needs to go though. I think you, you like, you're hanging on to something that, you know, probably needs to go right. Like, I'm, I mean, sure you guys have already experienced this in your life where you held on to something a little longer than you should. Maybe it's a girlfriend, you know, maybe it's a habit or a hobby um, that's just counterproductive to where you're trying to go in life. And you figure it out eventually, or you will figure it out eventually, you know, and the sooner you figure it out, the better. Yeah, I agree. Um, so just, I, I really want to talk like in a future, in the future about just your appraisal career and whatnot. Um, but I want to just, just highlight about basketball for now. Like I, when I would like, I used to play basketball, not any near, near the level that you used to play. And like, there's a lot of like teamwork involved. Do you, did you ever like deal with like problems, like in a team that you see, like carry over, like into like your real estate career or something else? Like, what did you, how did you, what did you learn from, from work, work playing with other people on the court? And like, how did that carry over into real life? It's funny that you say that because when you produced me with the PDF format of the questions that you were going to ask me, it was a time for me to kind of reflect on myself and, 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 and my business, you know, and like I, I'm in a weird industry where like I'm value, valuing something in an unbiased opinion that's, that's a part of a party transaction, right? It's like, hey, we're all involved here and we need a total stranger to come in and give us their opinion. Okay, well, what did I tell you I struggle with? I struggle with feeling like I'm not a part of things and, and like I'm not getting the attention I need. And now I'm really not a part of it. My job is to be unbiased. And, and so like it gave me the opportunity to like when I appraise something, let's say, and, and the value is not quite there and the, and the homeowner's mad and the lender's mad because this might hurt the transaction, right? I, I have that reflection of, hey, you guys are wrong here. I'm the right one, you know, but like maybe I need to stop and, and, and see their perspective and try to understand their perspective better. So like even today, getting up this morning, kind of reflecting a little bit on the questions in my meditation session, I was like, well, epiphany, green light, like, dude, I struggle with this all my life. Like, let's fix this problem, you know? So I would say like, that's definitely something that I, I've seen where like, I, I need to learn to cooperate better with everybody. It's not necessarily a part of my team, um, but it, yeah, is a, a part of the process. So um, I just had that reflection today. So um, as far as team atmosphere, I like I'm a solo guy, right? Like I'm a one man band. Um, I've always kind of been that way, even in 
with wealth appraisals, we had like eight appraisers working for us and I was working for James. I had my own office. I kept my own hours. I worked till midnight, you know, like I was just like, in fact, they said, Hey, we need to get you out of that office and put you into a cubicle so that you rub off on some of these other people, you know, we like, but I always just kind of had my blinders on and, and like just mode, move forward for my, what I wanted to accomplish. Um, I don't know, like, I'm not the greatest team player, I guess. Like I, I had my mission and, and I was focused on that. Um, maybe that's a good thing, right? Like people didn't think Michael Jordan was the greatest teammate. People didn't think that Kobe Bryant was the greatest teammate. I'm not putting myself on their level by any means, you know, like a microscosm, schasm, whatever it's called of, of, of that. But like, Maybe just like having your own mission and motoring through that and not letting anybody get in your way. Maybe that's, maybe that's something, you know, maybe there's an ingredient in the sauce that you're looking for. So yeah. it um, is your life. It's not anyone else's that you're living for. Like you got to make the decisions for you and can't be worried about what anyone else thinks, you know, to yeah. some extent. Which it's funny. Like I, I have to give you credit because you recommended the atomic habits to me. And I read that book and then he talks about your inner onion in that book, you know, your inner layer, your, your true core beliefs. And if you don't change or adjust those, you're never going to see sustainable exterior change, right? Like it, it's never going to take hold. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think that your core inner beliefs are is super important. Yeah. Um, on the topic of books, actually, you, you've been talking about like how you just kind of transitioned from like, like how you went from, you had to give up basketball to be with your wife or your now wife and um, uh, continue chasing real estate. And it honestly keeps reminding me of Matthew McConaughey. He wrote an autobiography called green lights. And it, it, you guys have a lot of similarities in that way where he, he, he would just give up. Um, he had to give up like multiple things. Like he went and moved to Australia and that's and then he had to move back to get into acting and i don't know just kind of it just kind of kept reminding me of it but um on that topic would you recommend any like you have any books uh youtube videos pe even just people that you'd recommend to our audience uh so like cheesy corny tony robbins is that guy is unbelievable you listen to that guy and you want to run through a brick wall and like his energy level is epic uh but there are three books that have changed my life without a doubt. The first one is David Goggins can't hurt me. If you haven't heard his story, that's like, that is so inspiring. I don't like, you know, if you guys have read that book, but that's mm -hmm. an absolute must I've, I've been through it three times, I think. So like, I, I always joke. I say, I listen to David Goggins while I'm mowing my yard and I, I'm not, I have five acres, so it takes me hours to mow my yard. But when that book's on, I want to mow my neighbor's yard also when I'm done. Like that guy, like you just don't want to stop when David Goggins is in the house, you know? Um, so that book, I highly recommend. Absolutely. Another book uh, is Atomic Habits. Uh, and that's total credit to you, Kyle, man. That book is a game changer. And to the point where I, I am going to order 
a dozen copies of that book and just hand it out to people. I was just at a barbecue on Friday night and I was I was talking to somebody about that book. Um, I will buy that book for people. That's how incredible that is a life changing book. Um, and it opens up from go. The guy is talking about taking a bat to the face and you're like puking and crying all at the same time. It's like every emotion that I could experience, this guy's bringing out on me in this opening introduction. So that book was incredible. I think that's a, a must read. And the third one is kind of quirky. It's James Nestor's Breathe. Um, something as simple as breath that we do every day that can change your entire state of mind. Literally, this guy goes into like, psychedelic changes just by the way you breathe. You know, like that book is incredible. And so I use those three books daily. Um, I'm using them with my uh, oldest son. He's 10. He's a pitcher and I've taught him breathing techniques from James Nestor's book. And this kid could have been on All-Stars, but they didn't have enough kids this year because of summer vacation, but he made the All-Star team. Uh, but to watch him pitch and use his breathing techniques on a mound, this is a kid that is me literally reincarnated. I mean, he is ADD, he is hyperactive and the patients that he shows on the mound with his breathing techniques. It's not even the same kid. It's like, it's crazy to watch him go through that. So I think that's a must read. I mean, it's an absolute must read. And all three of these books I'm recommending are easy reads and listens. I mean, like they're, you're, you're gonna wanna listen to them. Like these are books I blew through. I couldn't, couldn't you know, put them down. Like it was all, all day long thing. So I think audible consumption is great. Um, if you don't have the time to read, you can always find the time to read, right? Um, Audible allows me to consume books faster. Um, if I really like a book, I'll buy it, read it, and, uh, and use it as an Audible tool also. So those are three books that are an absolute must. If, you, if you're not doing that, you're just not, you're not putting forth effort in life. That's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Books are really beneficial in, in all ways, whether you're reading those books, breathe. Uh, you did recommend that to me. So I'll have to give you the props. That was an amazing book. Like I literally changed the way I breathe like every yeah. day now in the gym too. Like when I'm running on the treadmill, it's like, it changes the way you think about breathing and like how important it is. Um, I, obviously we could talk all day about this, um, but we're coming okay. up here on an hour. So I want to be respectful. Um, but our, our final question we've asked every guest we have on is just like to have a long-term view. You can touch on something I said, if you'd like, um, what is one goal that you have, whether it's like your career or your personal life, like what actions are you doing to get to that goal? Uh, I, I think my goal is just, it's corny. It's, it's financial freedom, right? It's, it's not having distress and, and my financial freedom number increases, you know, as I get older, it's like, it's like, it's an unobtainable goal. I feel like, but what have we learned? We've learned that when I'm chasing something, I'm pretty successful at it as long as I stay driven towards it. So maybe it's a good thing that that number keeps changing because that will keep me driving. Right. So maybe, maybe that's, a, that's a good thing for me, but yeah, it's just financial freedom. So how, how would, could you elaborate that on a little bit? You said it removes stress, but is there other, like, what is financial freedom like to you? Financial freedom is, uh, you know, outright home ownership. Okay. I don't have a mortgage payment, uh, no debt, right? Like no debt. And, and, and no, yeah, I would just, I would say I, I want to build something where 
I, I own several rentals so that I have income coming in so that I can live a lifestyle where I don't, I don't have to get up every day at, at five in the morning or five 30 in the morning and, and start my work day and, and, and grind till six o'clock. Like I, I want I want to focus on other activities, you know, you know, like golf or, or uh, music, you know, playing guitar. Like I want to be able to put that stuff into my life more and, and work less. So uh, financial freedom will allow me to be able to do that, to, to take my hobbies and make them uh, more front and center. So they're, they're in the background right now. Yeah. I couldn't have summed it up better. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate you coming on. We really hope to have you back. Okay. Yeah. Hey, you guys are awesome, man.